I'm Alexandra Legui. This is Mindset Unfiltered. My very special guest today and last guest of 2020 is mind coach, speaker and author of the fantastic new book release, Let It Go. Let It Go is a brilliant self-help book. The reason why I loved reading it so much is because it isn't just your standard self-help book where it tells you all the things you should be doing and feeling as if that's just easy. This is a self-help toolkit which offers constant exercises and challenges that are doable, accessible and motivating so you feel inspired to make changes even within the first chapter. It helps you leave behind negative patterns of thinking and behaviour which give rise to unwanted emotions and hold you back in life. This combination of theory and sound practical strategies have been proven time and time again in David's highly successful workshops and courses that really show people how to live happier lives. Head to www.david-ramen.com to find out more about him, his courses and how to buy his amazing book. Meet David. I would like to start this particular episode with a bit of a check-in um, and find out how you are at the moment. And uh, obviously, I mean, you probably do this in your own sessions, but just to, just because I want to try and avoid the I'm fine world that we live in and mm. uh, actually find out how you are mm. today. Thank you. Thank you. That's so lovely of you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm okay. It's a challenging time and I love traveling. And I think in 2020, it's tested everyone mm. in terms of one area of the life or more. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Even when the, the weather's good today, you just got to be grateful, you know, and that we're, we're safe. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's just a case of waiting this thing out and we'll see what we can do. Um, again, I, I, I want to travel. I want to speak. I want to teach, and uh, it was it was getting exciting. And then COVID nineteen came along. <laughs> How have you dealt with the limitations that that this year has brought to you? Yeah, sure. Right at the beginning, people were talking about pivot. Oh, pivot your business, and uh, I did exactly that. And I went online, uh, and I did. Uh, I was practically online every morning at 11 o'clock doing free workshops for the public. Um, that saved me. It was yeah. just as much for them as it was for me. Yeah. You know? So, I what about com- yourself? Yeah, I can completely relate to that because I yeah. um, turned straight to my yoga teaching. My presenting obviously dried up overnight. My whole year of income sort of vanished and it really didn't look like anything was going to start again. But um, I was teaching and, and always have, you know, for, certainly for the last six years, been teaching an awful lot of yoga and meditation and mindfulness. So I immediately switched into that zone. So I was the same. I I ended up at one point I was doing 22 hours a week uh, online, wow. um, which I found too much. And I did drop it down to about 15 hours, but it was just such a good thing for me to, yeah, it was helping me, like you say, just as much as it was helping my clients that who were, who were coming and who were loving it, actually. You know, all of us, we had a, we were sharing a really different experience via the online media. It was just a very different space than it obviously is in a hands-on room. Yeah. 
but there was also real beauty in that as well I think mm. yeah, there is um, it's a different space but um, you know you can still feel the energy yeah it, I think you can you know, and that's what we are as energy and I always believe that mm. uh, if you come from a place of service and love people can they can feel it that's what I that's what I loved is that something that you have been aware of your whole life that part of you mm, no not really um I struggled I struggled a lot my life you know um with self-love so I didn't even love myself so it was a case of having to really not find yourself, I think, just discover mm. who you are. We come into this world as a little package, a little baby, which you'll soon find out, and then we we just look at it and all we feel is love. And when I saw my son for the first time, I just thought, love. Mm. And it was just a, a different feeling to anything I've ever experienced in my life. It was like you would die for this thing in front of you, you know? And uh, um, I think uh, that I knew I could love. Mm. I could love. And uh, for me, it's discovering myself. I I think with with everyone, we're we're here to serve at some level, you know, and it makes us feel alive. And I, I, it makes, it makes me feel alive when somebody, perhaps I'm working with, comes alive. It's like, wow. I never fail to feel joy when I see someone feeling joy for the first time in many years. You know, it's, so yeah, I'm, service is so important to me now. I totally agree with that. I think people really um, underestimate how, I mean, humans love to help each other actually by nature we're really bad at asking for help because we feel guilty and we feel like it does something and we shouldn't be imposing on other people without realizing that actually if you ask someone for help they love it people love to be given that role of they need me they need my help and and if I do give them help I will be rewarded as much as they're rewarded with my help 100 people love it Mm. and they love Helping others, and I think we, we mistakenly, as you say, sometimes feel this guilt, and we don't want to impose. Uh, and uh, I think sometimes we need to just be vulnerable and, and just say, I, I, "I'd like help, please." And it's not weakness; it's a sign of it's a sign of strength. Mm. Uh, I found that difficult many years, like a lot of guys and a lot of ladies, and uh, different reasons. But, you know, I'm always telling people, if you need me, text me. Give mm. me a ring. This is my friends. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. But friends are not just there for parties. Mm. You know, friends are there for dark occasions. So, yeah. so you've obviously been on quite a journey. You touched there mm. on how difficult it used to be as a male to open up. There mm. seems to be quite a big, um, uh, a bit of a... Uh, revolution or revolution is that the right word but you know it, it is changing men do seem to be getting better and most of the people on my podcast most of my guests are males talking about overcoming adversity and and opening up and, and the value that they've found in that um but it's normally whereas women have a tendency to just be better at that by nature for a man it tends to without stereotyping it tends to be as a result of something 
Mm. Is that the case for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm uh, I'm in touch with my feminine side. So I've all, I've been told that since I was a child. You know, you have got this energy, this energy. You know, and I I loved poetry. I loved ballet and theatre, and I love football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, a lot of my friends just used to you know, look at me. <laughs> you like ballet, but I just appreciated it. So um, I had that energy of you know just a, a good energy, but I I felt that. We, you know, as, as a guy, we couldn't really open up. I didn't know how to do it or who to do it because, obviously, these days mental health is a big thing. It's it's no longer a dirty word or a swear word, which it might have been back in the eighties when I grew up, and so you wouldn't talk about it because people would think you're a bit crazy, mm-hmm. you're a bit nuts. But I, I always knew, Alex. Um, I was uh, I was told that when I was eighteen, oh, you're such a free spirit, David, and I had no idea what that meant. Free spirit? What does that mean? But I guess, yeah, def- definitely a free spirit. Um, but the problem was, you know, if you say something, does that make you, as a guy at that time, if you say something, does that make you less of a guy? Does that make you inferior? Uh, and you know when you have this conversation going on in your head, and uh, we, we think we're the only one in the world thinking this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and there's so many people I've worked with, when they come to, say, a workshop, they cannot believe. Or they say, I thought I was the only one who felt this way, you know, during this time. And you just feel, feel and I used to feel like that, you know. Mm. So I resonate with that. So, yeah, it was a time where you just arrive in life, you're around 20 years old, and you think you're a bit different to anyone, everyone else. But there are a lot of people out there who I knew probably were. I thought that just wouldn't open up. And we guys talk about football, you know, rugby, sport, Formula One. We don't talk about feelings, whereas um, women can, they're more open. You know, I've got lots of friends who are, who are um, women and they're very much open. But my, I, I guess my role model was my father, wasn't open. So I, I, I guess, you know, I never saw that. Mm. As open and, and also my mum, my father's passed on. My mum's obviously here, and my mum is not open as a person. So, looking at what I was exposed to, it wasn't. It was don't be open. Yeah. Don't be open. So, how on earth did you go from that place to where you are now, having written an incredible book that you're about to release? What was that journey? What gave you that courage then to do that? Yeah, I mean, uh, for for a fair few years, I was um, my first degree was biochemistry, so I was interested in science, but I was always inter- still interested in psychology. Um, in fact, when when I was in university, I I, I did phone up the um, psychology department and asked them, "Can I change subject?" And they said, "Well, you can if you want to, but you've got to go back a year." Went, oh, really? <laughs> oh. So I didn't want to, and then um, so I, psychology was always there, something to do with it. And then I um, finished when I graduated. I went on to study optometry because it was safe. Everybody wanted me to do a safe career, and I was I was just exhausted. I think mentally at that time. Um, my father wanted me to be a doctor because he was a doctor. I I had an offer to do medicine, I, but I said no. So my father didn't speak to me for a long time. You know. Wow. Because of you know, optometry, I remember telling him optometry. He said, "Why? You know, 
because why not be a doctor? But I didn't want to. My heart wasn't there. But I was looking for safety at that time, Alex. Nine to five job. If the income's okay, great. I had no idea. Uh, but when I qualified, the income was good. Uh, but then I, you know, after two years of doing that, I knew something else. I'm not, I'm not fulfilled here. And I'm not, I'm getting more confident because I'm dealing with the public. You start to get more confident and mm-hmm. come to be honest. And I still knew I wasn't confident in social situations and I was second guess myself. I was doubting myself, um, put myself down, criticize myself. So I used to have anxieties when I traveled abroad. You know, I traveled abroad a lot, but I used to get anxious. So I was thinking, what's going on here? Everyone seems to light up when they on the first couple of nights, and I used to sort of my flame used to diminish. Then, then it was okay after a couple of days, but I would I would find difficulties um, uh, being uncertain about where I was. I wanted to go home. Adjusting. Yeah. So around two thousand, um, early millennium, I started to when uh, when we had dial up internet. I started looking at came home one night um, after a night out, and I was just feeling I just want to. I want to do something, and I remember thinking, I want to do something, but to do with the human mind, but what is it? And I, and I thought, oh, counseling sounds good, or psychotherapy, these sound really, these sound really cool, uh, but what are they? So I looked, and I, I just I just didn't resonate. You, you know when you don't resonate with something? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make your, your, your soul light up? And I, then I looked at psych, psychiatry, no, it means I've got to be a doctor, no. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I come across life coaching, I thought, what's this? Life coaching, and Tony Robbins, and all these things. I thought, this is really interesting, and I'd never heard of it. And I bought the book. I bought books from different coaches, and um, including Tony Robbins and Robin Sharma. And I started reading all this stuff and thinking, hey, this, it just resonated with me, Alex, just right there. And I thought, I remember, I can remember what I said to myself at the time. I thought, this is for regular people have been issues and difficult times and it was it seemed medication free which is you, you don't go prescribe and I thought it just leapt out to me that's what I want to do and I told people to our family and friends and they said what's that yeah well, what <laughs> and there was a lot obviously a lot of resistance a lot of people shaking their heads scratching their heads and no 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 you're in a safe job just relax you're, you're off on one and I said no no I, I really am thinking of doing something different. And it took me a couple of years then to think about, how do you train? So I started training different organizations and got different certifications. And then I, for the first few years, I did it for free. You know, I was still working as an optician. I was just doing it for free, learning the ropes, not charging. And we were getting really good results, you know. Uh, the, the first ever result I got was working with somebody who was just career transition. She was unhappy, really unhappy working for a company and wanted, she actually wanted to be an aromatherapist uh, and uh, reflexologist. And, and I helped her transition. Uh, that was my first coaching client, I would say, but obviously free. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, 18 months later, she contacted me and said, David, I've left my job. I'm full time. And I thought, oh, this is good. So I carried on learning the ropes and training and um, yeah, went. Uh, ended up doing courses and workshops and all that and that's where I am today wow that's fascinating I remember um 
I remember meeting someone in London who had sort of almost done a similar journey and had trained as a life coach. And at that point, I mean, I was quite young still. I was in my early 20s, but I was also really fascinated by psychology and had dabbled with the idea of counselling at that stage. But I mean, I was still very much more interested in going out and partying, to be honest. But I remember the response of the people around the table when he said he was training to be a life coach. And just like you say, it was people just didn't have a clue what that was. And it was so frowned upon, wasn't it? We're so much more open to it now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, yeah, I I trained and it's just one of those times when you have to find your, try and find your purpose in life. Mm. And I knew my purpose was helping people who were, who are suffering what I have been through. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, is it is it, it, it was because you knew that you, that by taking the courage to do what you had done, passing on that, that feeling of, of having the courage to do that must have inspired you to pass that on. You know, you know what a, I found this amazing cure <laughs> to that feeling that you're feeling. You can do it. Yeah. It's just courage, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, we coach somebody, you find out. Well, first of all, they're not believing in themselves. Mm. They're not loving themselves. And then um, I can recognize that straight away from anyone. And, I, and, and it's something that I've struggled with over the years. You know, And I'm always working on myself every day yeah. with my yeah. own toolkit, with people I learn. I've got my own coach. And I believe we're always a work in progress, mm. always. You know, and... Um, when I when I'm working with someone, it is courageous because um, a lot of people, especially guys these days, yeah, of course they're more and more looking for help, but a lot aren't. Mm. You know, and uh, during this time, uh, 2020, the statistics show that suicide rates are really skyrocketing, and I want to help change that. It is my mission, actually. Um, if you ask me what I want to do, is travel the world, teach, transform people's lives, and move on go to different countries, teach. And I, I would, if I live in a, outside, if I live in a suitcase and I stay in different hotels, that's fine. I, I just love that part. So I can marry the traveling with the work. And that would be, it's, it's no hardship for me, really. Because uh, I believe if you've got a talent in life, like a painter or you're, or, or you're a plumber, do it. Mm. Do it. Do what feeds your soul. And I found it. Uh, and I'm just suing it now. You most definitely are. And you've written an incredible book, which I've had the privilege to read just a few chapters. And I, it's like so frustrating because I just desperately wanted to read more, which is always a sign of a really good <laughs> book. <laughs> it was like cruelty. <laughs> um, so how did this come about? When did you actually put pen to paper? Mm. Uh, well, I started doing these workshops um, in, that, in the last decade and I collated tools, learned tools, I was developing different tools uh, and techniques and uh, for one-to-one sessions. And then one day I thought, I was getting really tired. It's difficult to do all-day coaching, all-day therapy. And it's really difficult because people are coming at you and they're not happy. You know, they've got depression, anxiety, stress, whatever, low self-esteem. And 
it does take a lot of, of your own energy. And I thought, well, I really want to do something which involves groups, but I don't want to public speak. The last thing I want to do is get up in front of people. And I think that's one of the biggest fears I ever overcame was, shit, I've got to get up and talk. And I remember back in, it was like 2007, 2008, I had to do this. I decided, offered my service to do this, like a, a seminar in a hotel in Cardiff, and I was wrecking it. <laughs> uh, and uh, I thought I was bloody Madonna because I had that headphone <laughs> there. And, uh, you know, I thought I was focused on that, but I was, I was, I was so worried. And the, the night before, I was supposed to you know, give give the, um, the workshop that seminar. I woke up and it was two o'clock, two thirty in the morning, and there was a banging on the door, and I was thinking, "What is this?" And I was just about to get in my bed when I realised that banging was from my chest. I was having a panic attack, yeah. and my heart was boom, 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 and my head was boom, boom, boom. I put myself in a panic attack, but I knew it. I was, I was helping people with panic attacks. I did all the exercises, got myself back into a calm state, activated the parasympathetic nervous system, and I sort of calmed down and went back to sleep. And I realized, yeah, I'm frightened. I am frightened, man. I'm frightened. Uh, and the next, so the next day, I went and did the, I did that talk, and uh, I was rubbish. I was absolutely rubbish. Shit. I'm thinking, oh, they barely, they've clapped out of sympathy. I know that. Uh, and um, I thought, no, I'm not going to give up. I made a decision that day, day I am not going to give up. And then I just did workshop after workshop, seminar, talk, until I discovered one day, hold on now, I will get past all my fears, because fear of looking stupid, fear of sounding stupid, not knowing enough, fear of um, people just judging you, get past all of that in one go, if you focus on your message, just focus on your message, David. Focus on your message that you are worthy to the audience, that they can let go, that they can change. Focus on that. And the minute I did that, all my fears. Of course, we all get nervous when we go on stage before. But that, that underlying panic just disappeared. Disappeared. And that's when, you know, if I'm coaching someone who suffers anxiety or problems, Speaking, I, this is the message I teach them. What's your message to go to the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, make it bigger than you. Uh, and after that, to answer your question, all these tools and techniques, I wanted to, I, just, I thought, well, I, I'm going to have to put this in a book or something because I, I can't get to as many people as I want and they can't afford to travel to come and see me or or some people out there, they don't want to be seen to be getting help. They want to read this book in private. Mm. So, just like I did. So, uh, yeah, I started, uh, the journey started in 1314, and um, here we are. And then in 2017, I I put it out there. I I thought, I'd like a publishing company. And everyone said to me, oh, you're not going to be able to find a publishing company, man. No one knows you, and who gets a publishing company these days? to uh, publish a book, and, and I, 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 I then also said to myself, I'd like it to be a, a Welsh publishing company. And, and people say, well, there isn't any in Wales. Um, it, it is serendipity in the power of law of attraction, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Uh, my my uh, uh, got the Airbnb 
in, in Cardiff and at the time some somebody was staying there it was the Welsh High Stemford uh, and uh, they just contacted me to say hey David there's a problem with the toilet in the middle floor and I said I rang them up and normally I hand normally I, I sort of text them contact the management company but I, I didn't I contacted them had a conversation with them and uh, then I said oh so what, what are you doing in the bay so oh, we're, we're, we're business we're just uh, working in the bay um, and they asked Tensford oh what business did you we're a publisher I thought, what? <laughs> what? WTF? Mm. And then, uh, and then, yeah, it's conversations, emails, all that stuff. And they'd never published a self-help book in their life. They'd always done um, sports biographies and sports stuff for the Welsh rugby team and all that. Uh, and and um, they, they, they took a chance because the, the founder of the company, his degree in the 1960s was psychology. Oh my so God! He read the stuff, and he said, oh, "I like this." And he, we met. I was in, um, I was in Jamaica, lying on a beach, minding my own business, thinking, "Where am I going in life?" And this, I shouldn't have been checking my email, but this email came in from this guy. He said, "Are you available to chat tomorrow? Meet?" I said, "No, I'm on holiday at the moment. Uh, how about the end of the week when I'm back?" So we met, and then it sort of went from that. You know, but I, was, uh, I believe we can bring into our life. Yeah. If you really believe, if you believe from our heart, integrity, I think the universe conspires to help us. I totally agree. I'm I'm a bit of a universe fan. Um, I, I like think that. I think that um, I think it's about being open to things as well. You know, I think for people, I I, I understand that people poo poo the whole law, you know, law of attraction and manifestation and and things, but I think that it doesn't have to be. Uh, any sort of voodoo or anything like that, that, you know, that misconception. I think it's about being open to those opportunities. Mm. And that's what people tend to be if they are a little bit more open to that potential rather mm. than going, oh, no, that would never happen. Well, then yeah. you're then you're putting a block in place before you've even tried, before you, you know. You are. I mean, if, in, in football in terms, if you go onto the pitch, if you think you're going to lose or doubts... <sighs> It's going to affect your performance, you know. And um, if we walk into a room and say we're having an interview and we are fearing the interview or we're feeling not good enough, it's going to show up yeah. in our whole aura. They, yeah. they, they can't say it, but they can detect there's something wrong here, this guy. Uh, and, you know, in terms of law of attraction and all that, there's so much physics behind it now, quantum physics, that attraction like does attract like yeah you know and there's and the, the particle the subatomic particles i mean this is where all the my science degrees came in and i can understand it mm-hmm. that this there's science behind this now that we want to call it law of attraction but it's more law of what they say resonance yeah you resonate with certain people mm-hmm. and energies mm-hmm. completely 100 percent, and it's funny i mean changing your own pattern and how, what, how you view yourself or, you know, if you, I definitely, when I was younger, although I've been brought up to be pretty, pretty, my mum was a Buddhist, um, you know, she practiced meditation and Reiki. So I was brought up in a very open spiritual household. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally I, I had my fair share of crap growing up. And so when I got to about, you know, sort of standard sort of classic for me age it felt like almost like sort of 16 17 16 17 yeah. I started having this bit of a cycle of life is really unfair for me 
Mm. And I and that kept coming out, and it kept, and I kept feeling it, and I, and then something else would happen to to reassure me that my my views, my negative views, were justified, and that kept happening. And I kept just going, God, I'm just really unlucky. And I remember using that sentence repeatedly. And then I went traveling when I was about um, 19 and, you know, met some really interesting people and some amazing things happened. And as soon as a couple of amazing things happened and I started being much more open to what the universe was was bringing in for me, everything switched, everything changed. And then I, and then people were, I was meeting more people, like-minded people because of the energy I was giving out, you know, Mm. and, and now I look back on that negative viewpoint and be like, God, I just can't imagine using that sentence out loud now. Yeah. But so many people do. Yeah. uh, I think psychologists call it confirmation bias, where we, we look for evidence of our beliefs. Yeah. So if we feel not good enough, we'll, get something and we'll focus on that to confirm we're not good enough. And Completely. You're right. I, I think um, I always look at our life like a mirror. Whatever energy you put out there, it's, it's just it's going to reflect back mm. and people can feel it. Yeah, definitely. So let's really delve into your book or the bits, certainly the bits that I started on and, uh, and then you can, you know, expand a little bit more. Um, your book is like a toolkit, isn't it? That's how, I mean, I would say I would describe it, but I think you do actually describe it as that as well. And that's why I absolutely loved because, um, I felt like when someone reads a self care book that doesn't have that toolkit, it's sort of maybe, well, this book really felt like it encouraged people to take reins of their own life and mm. to go off and do that. I like immediately. I wanted to go and do all of the, all of the different challenges that you'd set me. Is that what your aim was? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, toolkit's the perfect word because this, this is what um, I aimed it at mm-hmm. to give the reader. I heard once that over 90% of books are never read from after the first to second chapter. Look, people buy these books and it's in the cold, they call it, they put it on the shelf and they call it shelf development. That's, <laughs> That's so thought, true. Yeah, I thought, I don't want that. Uh, if I'm going to put a book out there, I want to make it useful. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, the book is structured to take you on a journey. And if you, if you just follow it, it might take you a few months to read it. But follow each chapter. So let's say you do one chapter a week. There's, there's 17 chapters, say 15 of them are ones packed with the tools, you know? Follow it. So it might take you then 15 weeks, which is almost four months. It, it can be transformative. Mm. It really depends on if you do the work. If somebody reads the book and it reads it passively, it's not going to work yeah. because you've just read it passively. If you take the time and you even share the information with your bestie or a pal. I promise you, it can really 100 times it, you know, in terms of multiply the effect, it can be exponential. Because, you know, that's, I believe if you, if you know something, you'll be able to teach it. Mm. You can't, you can't, you don't know something until you teach it. Mm. And you can actually tell somebody about the, say, the attitude of gratitude or how not to think that, you can actually tell them. If they say to you, 
something and you can't explain it, that means you don't know it, you know? So the book is designed, um, yeah, it's designed to be referred to time and time again. And I, I've literally wrote it, Alex, really easy to, easy to understand, I hope. And um, it can be used from teenagers all the way up to seniors. Because yeah. I've, I've had clients who are from all spectrum. I, I can't be put in a niche. I, I just love all people. Yeah. And it's, it's just one of the things, you know, people try to put me in a niche. I said, no, I don't want to work just with 35 to 50-year-old mums, you know, or teenagers. I, I like the lot, Yeah, you know. I can't help it. So, yeah, it's it's that um, energy thing. We just resonate with people. Um, and I'm hoping that it will take people on a journey where they can be better, better versions of themselves, and, and it, it could be the start of their journey. And it's called Let It Go. Which is one of the things that people really struggle to do, isn't it? Um, why do you think people find it hard to let things go? Good question. It's um, many reasons for that. I think one of the reasons is that I think the greatest fear in life for anyone is change. Mm. And letting go means you've got to change. People have problems changing their network provider on their phone these days, you know? Yeah. Problems, uh, you know, change in our life could be getting married or buying a house, having a baby. This is change. And it's scary. So when you talk about letting go, you're talking about something that you might have got comfortable with. Mm. There, there are There's something that I call, called secondary gain, which is... There'll be people out there who are staying stressed or anxious or, or staying having low moods or depression because it gives them something back yeah. from people. And that what they're getting back could be sympathy and love. So why would they want to change? Why would they want to let go? Yeah. That's just, just one little reason why. Many, many things, reasons why people want to let go. The familiar, the known, the yeah. certainty. Yeah, you're so right. Actually, I hadn't really thought about the fact that the, you know, about that, the choice of keeping negatives in your life for those almost beneficial reasons, or they feel like they're beneficial to you at the time. And if you don't know what's going to be there, if you, you know, if you are struggling and you are, like you say, surrounded by love and support because of maybe this, this need that you're putting out there, if you suddenly aren't that person anymore, then then what? Yeah. You've got to feel like that there's it, that it's still going to be there anyway, haven't you, I guess? Yeah, you've got to trust it. And um, in the book, there's a chapter around what I term the fit mind model. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> Shall I talk about it a bit? Yeah, or, or, yeah, 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 I do. It's, uh, I created a model in 2017 because it just came to my, um, came to my mind. I'm thinking, letting go, it's not just about the past. It's about the future mm-hmm. because some people are consumed with the past because you hear it from their speak. Some people are consumed with the future and they'll say, uh, I, I, I won't be happy until I find a partner. I won't be happy until I change my job. I, I, I'll, I'll be happy when I get a new car. And it's all future-based. It's all that. Or it could be someone who's worrying about how we're going to pay the mortgage or 
you know, is the dress going to be ready for the wedding? Uh, and we're at the airport. Are we going to get through customs? I mean, all this is future-based. And that's, that's um, worry and doubts uh, and anxiety. That's all future-based. And then um, the past is another direction where the mind goes it's like a time traveler and we need to let go of that. So the FIT model is basically, um, we imagine um, through a, a long road, Route 66, and we've got point, point A, point B, point C. Instead, they're called F-I-T. F is the past. Uh, F stands for forgiveness, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you forgive yourself or forgive someone or something, it, it allows you to let go and come back to the now. Because if you keep referring back to it, you haven't forgiven, you haven't, you haven't let go. I is in the moment, that moment where, you know, you could be on a surfboard or you could be in a picnic and the hours disappear. Where you've been somewhere, you're at a party with friends, did a party, and seven o'clock is suddenly one o'clock. Where the F did the time go? Like, what? Oh, what's going on? It's time to go. It, you're in the moment. It's wonderful. And T stands for trust. The less we trust things are going to be good, the less we overthink, the more we stay in that future thinking. Uh, but the more we trust, trust the universe, trust everything's going to be okay. Um, you can easily look back at your life and look at times where you were worried, sick, or you built something in your head. What percentage of those actually came true? Very little. You know, science finds out less than 10%. So, Peace stands for trust. So it's like you can imagine I is the now. F is a piece of, a piece of rope, elastic rope connected to I. When you let go, it comes back there. When you let go, T comes back there. And that's when we are at our most beautiful and we're happy in life. But human beings, being human beings, we tend to sort of flick back to the past or the future. Mm. And we can, case in point, just watch your friends, watch what they say. Yeah. You'll go, oh, thinking about the future, thinking about the past. Uh, and yeah, that model's in there. I really like that. And um, you said about forgiveness. I wonder how many people are sitting in the past because they can't forgive themselves for things as well. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's a, a big problem with society. Yeah. You know, you might have done when you were a child or something that you didn't do. You know, you perhaps you gave up the opportunity to go to university and you just, you're killing yourself about it, you know? Mm. Uh, but... Again, if you can, forgiveness is not condoning actually what happened, and uh, uh, but actually saying, time to let go. Mm. It's time to let go. Because uh, as the saying goes, it, not forgiving is like drinking cyanide and expecting that person to die, you know? Mm. You're the one who's suffering the moment. And all forgiveness is the same. Like, okay, let's, let's come back to the now. It happened. It doesn't define them or doesn't define me. And... We have to move on. So, yeah, it's, it's forgiveness is something that is difficult for a lot of people because I think people confuse it with having to approve of what happened, but it, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. And with the future, obviously, a lot of that, like you said, is to do with fear. And you have a whole chapter on fear that you didn't, that, that I didn't get to read, but I would be interested to know more about your views on that. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, you know, we often get scared. Uh, we call it fear. Children call it, I'm scared. You know, and uh, fear is uh, a psychological response. It's a, a very old mechanism uh, in the limbic part of our brain. 
and the, the, the emotional center called the amygdala is actually what, I, what researchers found out is two-thirds wired up for negative, to look for what's wrong as a safety mechanism. Mm-hmm. And it's been there since caveman times. And we, you know, if you, if you open the door and your friend is there with the little children, they run in. They run into the house because they don't have fear. Mm-hmm. All they can say is adventure. But uh, as we grow up through the years, we develop, you know, these rules and these beliefs and these values, you know, and then we start then fearing stuff. Uh, and things happen to us, and we then have we try and avoid a fear. And there's a story that's in the book. Um, I won't tell you it. I think you'll enjoy the story about the dog. Um, yeah, yeah, you, you, you love dogs, so you, you like the story, and it represents fear. Uh, and with fear, it can stop anyone who's potentially capable of having a great life from living a great life yeah. whether in being themselves in a relationship expressing yourself or you could be in college and you want to put your hand up and tell the answer we've all done it we want to put the answer we know the answer we don't want to put our hand up because we fear getting it wrong being rejected laughed at looking stupid and all these are normal fears mm. but they're things that we try and avoid mm. so then I always think of fear is like Imagine your life as a car. You've got the steering wheel. You're in control. The blueprint is the engine that runs the whole show. Fear is the handbrake or the brake. It's what we just press down reflexively to stop ourselves going anywhere, even though there's no one on the road. Yeah. We put the brakes on. Do you think it's to do with control or lack of control as well? To do with many things. Many things. Control being one of them. Yeah, I mean... Um, can, if somebody is controlled, for example, I, I tell the story of um, the lady who's she's going out for the evening on the weekend, uh, and she tells her husband um, they've been married for a year, and then he's he says, "I'll pick you up," and uh, she says, "No, no, it's okay. I'm not with the girls. Um, I'll we're catching the, the taxi at about midnight, one o'clock. No, no, I'm picking you up." He insists on being But why? You don't need to. Because I'll be safe. It's not about safety. And then you realise, okay, it's all about him. It's all about that uh, mm. lack, feeling of lack of control. So when you see someone who is controlling as a person, Alex, then you realise they are feeling not in control. So you take a step back, so they're... They're feeling not in control. So when we lack something, we go for it at, a, at another level. So we have to get more of it, yeah? So in this case, it's control. So when we lack, we feel we, we're not in control, we, we have to exert more control. So mm-hmm. in this case, something would have happened to that guy, the husband in the past, causing him to then behave like this. So all she can see is the behavior. Yeah. If he understands the reason, he'll trust. Yeah. We've got this trust, you know? Again, it's that future thing. So yeah, it's uh, fear comes in many, many, many guises. But it could be something like, you know, you were embarrassed in school. You know, you you uh, you were embarrassed, you were humiliated by someone in school, uh, and someone threw something behind you from behind and embarrassed you, and it was like a custard pie. And then for years and years, you worried about something behind you. Mm. You were fear of someone watching you or throwing something behind you, you understand? Mm-hmm. So fears are born 
at some point we yeah. they're programmed into us yeah lots of those are aren't they you know you touched on the baby you know the child running in because they're not scared it's the same they they you know our baseline is is our baseline is happy our baseline is you know you just have to look at a child or a baby and you know their first instinct is to laugh and to giggle and to find the beauty in things and yet we go through life like uh, I liken it to downloading apps on a phone you know we download all these things that start draining us and and then we wonder why we're clogged up with stuff that's like making us run on on half you know on half level and I think, you know, if we sort of switch it all around the other way and remember that our baseline is happy, then you start looking at, okay, so what is it that's making me unhappy or what is it that's making me scared and go from that way round rather than what can I do to make me happy? What, Like you said earlier, what, you know, the, the need for more, more money, more status, more something, you know, they're not the things that are going to make you happy. Your baseline is happy. Yes, yeah, yeah. you're right, your baseline is happiness and joy and you know it can be as simple as as someone who's got a business and they just will not pick up the phone to call potential leads Mm. because their fear is rejection Mm. and that rejection imagine rejection to be just like a ball it's come from the past it's come from they were rejected somewhere in the past Mm. Uh, only they know or they may not even know you know it's buried so deep, but they have, all they can feel is this feeling of, if I pick up the phone, it's potentially someone's going to say no to me or tell me off the phone and then, and then I'm going to feel rejected. But I don't want that feeling. I'm not going to pick up the phone. So, yeah, there are many, many rejections, uh, many, many fears. There, there, I list them in the book, a lot of fears, and I go through that chapter. It's, I just want people to understand that. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs agree. Yeah. To understand that, um, yeah, it's okay to have fear, but you know, you have to address it face on, and you really have to take action. People have been really struggling this year, um, as we touched on earlier, with you know the lockdown and the COVID nineteen situation. So, what what advice can you give, or is there something that people can start sort of implementing into their lives to make life a little bit easier or better, or yeah, just a nice, you know, ex- some exercises that you can recommend yeah, people do. I think the one most powerful ways of going from a negative state um, to a happier state is the attitude of gratitude straight away. Uh, and again, I, I talked about it in the, in the book, and it's it's a state where you are activating senses of your brain and focusing on what you've got rather than what you've got haven't got or what you think you've lost. And this year, people initially were focused on the loss of going to the pub, the loss of seeing um, loved ones in person, the loss of um, getting on a plane and flying. Mm. We're focused on that. You've got two ways. You can focus on what you haven't got or focus on what you've got. And gratitude is, what well, I would say, one of the most powerful tools you can ever use. You wake up in the morning and you actually you can you know, feel the warmth of the your covers or the running water you've got you've got freedom or you can open the curtains so your arms are okay i mean if you've got a broken arm or you're in pain you'd be soon grateful that your arm is better mm. you know and uh, driving your car down the road and you're grateful for the brakes work yeah. if the brakes didn't work you'd be in trouble so 
when when you the brain and psychologists call it cognitive dissonance you can't think two separate thoughts at one time so when you're in a state of gratitude it's literally alex like this this is where i teach it that you go through life like this you just see what you want to see that's it and you behave like this is all i'm going to see this is my rule this is what i like but gratitude is like suddenly and, and people have said to me oh my god david the first time in my life i feel like i'm seen in color i've been living my life in black and white all these years and you know funny enough when you talk to people who are depressed because i was depressed uh once and, and once or twice you see and a lot of depressants will say the world is black and gray yeah they see the world is black and gray and they can't see a future so Gratitude is really powerful, and you can ask yourself at any time, and first in the morning is a good time, to ask yourself, what could I be grateful for right now? Mm. That actually interrupts your negative thinking first in the morning. So you might have had a bad dream, you might have woken and thought, oh, we're here again. We're still in the middle of this COVID thing, you know? Mm. Um, so ask yourself, what could I be grateful for right now? It could be the laughter of your child. It could be the smell of coffee coming from the kitchen. Simple things. So every time I've asked anybody this, they always say, I'm good for my children, I'm good for my house, my job, my car, which is great. It's all brilliant. Mm. You've got to go deeper. Yeah. When you notice detail in your life, we, we get this feeling that, hold on, life was quite good. Mm. You know, I remember being in Cuba and I was talking to the taxi driver when I was in the front and, I'm saying to him, why is everyone so happy in Cuba? <laughs> it was, uh, he was saying, yeah, good question. I said, you know, in the West, we have trouble. We just, there's so much depression and anxiety and stress. He said, you know, David, we, we, have, we, we have cigars, we have rum, we have music, we have sunshine. We don't need much, mm. but we feel we've got so much. Mm. I thought, wow. And I was like, Wow. We don't need much, but we feel like we've got so much of it. Wow. I think it's the opposite back home. Yeah. I said, we've got a lot. We feel like we haven't got much. And I think during this year, um, yeah, number one, gratitude. Go for it. Really work on it and be grateful and look around you to see that there's so many people who don't have what you've got. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just be grateful for what you've got. That's the first thing I would say this year, straight away, uh, gratitude. Are you good at doing your own things yourself? Your own mm. advice? Are you good at taking it yourself? Yeah. Or do you struggle I, I, sometimes? Yeah, I practice it. Mm-hmm. So gratitude is a practice, just like yoga, meditation. Mm. Um, I, I meditate every day. I would love to do yoga, something I really want to do yoga. I did Pilates years ago, and I loved it. I don't know why I gave it up. Um, so yeah, I do. I do practice. I'm in. A, I'm in a good space, and if I feel I'm not in a good space, I've got to find out why. So I'll journal. Mm. Um, I'll talk to my coach. Um, I'll meditate because I think meditating is so powerful. Anybody out there watching this has never meditated. There are many, many different ways of meditating, as you know, and it's not just you're not having to clear your mind. You're not like a Buddhist monk. It's actually doing something. Um, and, it, and it's a practice. So I practice the tools. Yeah, not all of them every day. I, I wouldn't have the time to do anything else. No. Um, 
but uh, certainly every morning we've been in the shower and been on a great football right now. So lucky to have, and you know, I don't take that for granted. Warm water, we're so lucky. That's a really nice way of putting it in as well. Like you just said, even then, just doing it in the shower. Because I think that people do go, I haven't got time for all that. I haven't got time. Mm. But when I ask, you know, people aren't, it's not about having time. You can multitask, you know, do it in the shower. Because pretty sure you wash yourself every day. So do it then. Or when you're drying your hair or when you're waiting for the kettle to boil. Even if it's only two minutes every day. That's, that's the start, isn't it? And that's not asking you to take anything out of the rest yeah. of your life, your your busy yeah. schedule. You know, one tip I can offer people there is they might say, oh, I might forget. Because when we first started to think, we might forget, and this is quite natural. Uh, I wouldn't. I would say, don't write it down in a notebook, because you may not, you don't want to read first in the morning. Put on a post-it note, and put on your bathroom mirror. Yeah. Gratitude. And then that's just a nice reminder for you uh, you'll get used to it, just like tiny laces, and one day you won't have to see that word on the, on the mirror. I'm all about sticky post-it notes. I've done oh, that. you're gonna love the oh! <laughs> I've you're done that. Yeah, right? it's, uh, there's a lot. There's a whole section on that. <laughs> I've had them like uh, I touched on it yesterday. I can't remember who I was talking to yesterday on it, um, but yeah, I used to have sticky note by the toilet to do squats for when the toilet was flushing. Um, because instead of doing a hundred squats a day, I decided to do 10 every time I went to the toilet, just during the toilet flush and 10's an achievable amount. And actually you do 10 and then you're like, Oh, I could totally do more, but I'm not going to, cause I know that I'm going to go to the toilet probably 10 times today. Yeah. And before you know it, you're doing a hundred squats yeah. and the same with, you know, the kettle boiling. So I've, Oh, I, in my life, I've had so many sticky notes around the house for different yeah. th- things. And it is such a good trigger. Yeah, oh, and you're the right. The mirror is a great one to have it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the, it is the ultimate tool. Um, yeah, people always say, "Oh, David, I've given you a course. I do those post-it notes. They're still around the house." Yeah, and um, you know, it could be a post-it note by the door saying, um, "What's the one that somebody told me recently? Life is not an emergency." It's one of the um, power statements in the book. Yeah, life is not an emergency. This person's always in a hurry. Yeah, uh, and people are always. If you walked on the street, people just seem to be in a hurry, or they always they always were in their car. Yeah, and, and this person put it by their front door. Life is not an emergency, and they just remembered. All right, slow, slow down. But yeah, I'm all for that because we're very visual creatures. Yeah. We need to see it and have reminders. Yeah, I completely agree. One thing I did notice through certainly through our first lockdown. Um, when I was out cycling or walking, I, I did, I was aware of people taking a little bit more time out. I think there was an element to it all that did just slow everyone a little bit. I remember cycling. I was really lucky where we were living in our flat. We were right by the Thames and had this wonderful path all the way down the Thames. Um, for that was a 14 kilometer ride that we used to do. And it was just beautiful. And, um, this part um, in sort of Staines Chertsey area, there's some wonderful spots where people feed the swans. Mm. And um, and I remember there was one point on my way, sort of cycling the one way, if you like, and I noticed tiny little chicklets, you know, just, just by the um, edge. So I stopped and watched them for a little while. 
and uh, carried on. And then on my way back, noticed about six people stopping and having a look as well. And I thought that's really nice because I wouldn't normally mm. notice other people mm. stopping and taking the time to just watch mm. nature. Mm. It doesn't, mm. I don't think people do it very often. And I, and it was just a really nice thing to see that I thought, I wonder how often they were doing that before lockdown. I wonder mm. if they were bringing that in their lives before, you know, they may have, they may well have been, but you know, if they weren't, then that you know, that's just a that's I mean, that's a sort of meditation in itself. But just a m- mindful walk is lovely. Mm, you're right. It's uh, I think a lot of people they what they call it they call it the big pause. A lot of people for the first time in their life paused. Yeah. And um, they weren't flying off somewhere or travelling to Scotland, you know, and on the train for work. They were just forced to pause and forced to breathe, take a breath. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it was very novel, yeah. very new. And I think what I've heard is, is quite a few people that have totally changed the way they look at how they're going to operate after yeah. lockdown. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it really did help a lot of people in that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I had this conversation a few years ago, 16, 2017, I was saying that, I have this feeling, I was going my intuition and, and connection to uh, what's out there, and I was thinking there's this, there's going to be a conscious, change in consciousness within the globe at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, it was just my gut feeling, and, and I think we're, we're going through that now. I, yeah, I agree, and I think we were rewarded by the universe. So, like, because it was so warm and everything as well. I remember yes. sitting on the balcony, just thinking, "I feel like this is the universe going, thank you, oh my gosh, thank you for giving me a rest." Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and in return, I'll reward you with nice weather. So. <laughs> that was freaky weather. Yeah. Brilliant. That was. Yeah, exactly. Every day I was so. so Happy. Yeah. It was just non-stop sunshine, which we're not used to in this country. No, and it does make a difference to people's well-being, doesn't it? And again, I was was so grateful because I don't know what would have happened to people if the the weather was bad. No. In that time. No. And I'm grateful that we we were given the opportunity to at least, we're going to pause, do it in the garden. Yeah. Just relax on the balcony, you know? Yeah, I agree. What's your favourite chapter in the book, and why? The book with the post notes. The, the, the it's called Is the house statements. Yeah, um, I, I have asked many people over the years. What was the favourite part of your training when we when we did it, or you, the course you came on? They said the power statements. Power mm. statements, or you know, there's about I think there's fourteen of my power statements in there, uh, and it's it's literally. It's very transformative. Mm. So that's not me saying it's good. That's the feedback it's, it was, or that was the game changer for me, David. That was uh, gratitude chapter again is is, is um, powerful. It is um, in the power statement chapter. Can I share one with you? Please do. There's there's one called "I'm not better than you. You're not better than me," and that obviously means we're equal. But there's a lot of people out there who don't think they're good enough. Mm. Who don't think they're equal. Um, I remember somebody on one of my 
horses and she she got up during it and she said I've got something to tell everyone and it was rare that anybody would actually speak speak up and talk about the experience and it was something like third or fourth week into the course and she said I was I've been bullied the last couple of years of work and the other day the bully uh, I was walking down the corridor I saw the bully and it was coming towards me and I don't know what happened, David, but that power statement he taught us, I'm not better than you, you're not better than me, just flushed up in my head. I thought, mm, good, good. So we're practicing it. Yeah, and she said, this boy came up and she said, uh, they started to do the usual thing, trying to undermine me. And I said to them, stop. She, she put her hand out. Don't ever talk to me like that again. If you talk to me like that again, I'm going to get you, you know, seen to by your superiors, whatever she said. This person had never seen her like this, stand up herself. The person sort of, whoa, whoa, and then walked off, never bullied her again. And then she realized, oh, God, this is the first time in my life I can remember I stood up for myself. I'm assertive. It, it changed her belief about who she was at that moment. That was transformative. So you can imagine in, in, the, in the, that chapter this. I think it's 14 of those. And wow. Different ones will appeal to different people. Yeah. You know? um, I don't know until that person reads it which one will immediately resonate. People say, oh, let it go. That's the one for me. Or, you know, where, where focus goes and you flows. Or yeah. um, does it matter? There's, there's a number of them. And I just I just let people do what, take the tools and, and use them to your benefit. Oh, amazing. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to read it all. Um is there anything that you feel like you haven't covered that you would like our audience to? Mm. I think just to just to think when you think about yourself, just think you can change your life. It, it, it is an inside job, which is you have to do the work for yourself. There are going to be times when you feel like giving up. There's going to be many times when you doubt yourself and you feel like giving up. Don't give up. Uh, and to just always to remember that you are worthy. Uh, and to just the words, three words, it's, it, it's in there. I am worthy. There may be a part of you which makes you feel uncomfortable about saying that. It does keep on going because it will come. It, there, there will be an aha moment where the penny drops and your life, your life changes. And that's where I think um, this book gets them to. If their life is four bases on a baseball field, um, it gets them to first base. It gets them to where they will feel good enough to tackle anything in life. I love it. So when can we buy it? Now it's available on Amazon. It's uh, it's there. So, so jump can, on Amazon. We can put the links out. <laughs> yes, thank you. Get everyone to buy them. And, and uh, if everyone would be kind enough to give David a review, that would be great as well, oh, I'm sure. Thank you. I've read some of your reviews and they're so positive. Thank you. Thank you. So what do you do for the rest of your day then? Um, today I've got, I've actually got a conversation um, with somebody in uh, Arizona who wants wow. me to come on their show. Uh, so they want to speak about, they want to speak about the power of letting go. So oh, I've got to, you've got to do it all over again. I've got to do a, yeah, I've got to do a conversation and then I'm off to see my mum and take a shopping she wants to go out tonight to Asda, so I'm going to, I'm going to take her shopping to Asda. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. 
either oh, side. Well, I love the fact that your snowball is growing momentum constantly. It's really deserved. And from oh, what I've you. read, you know, albeit only a few chapters, was very inspirational. And it's been a real privilege to talk to you and learn from you. And I know that everyone will really appreciate that too. It's been a pleasure and an honor to speak to you too. And thank you for, um, yeah, it's been a brilliant conversation. So easy and you've got such a great style. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that feedback too. Thanks, David. Thank you. Take care. Bye. That's it for me for 2020, folks, but I will be back in the new year with some fantastic guests, including former Special Forces agent, author and much-loved SAS Who Dares Wins star Ollie Ollerton, mental and physical coach and previous trainer of Max Verstappen, Jake Alika, the psychic psychologist, Amanda Charles, and Carlos Sainz's mental and physical coach, and my amazing fiancé, Rupert Manwaring, will also be on, to name a small few. Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, stay safe and healthy, look after yourself and everyone around you, take some time off, rest, relax and see you soon.